Welcome to South London Hardcore. I'm Jack McInroy. My co-host is Steve Walsh. Hello. And our guest this week is DJ AJ from Hard Noise, early 90s hip-hop crew. We're going to be playing two Hard Noise tracks, Untitled, first of all, and then after the interview, Serve Tea, then Murder. You can follow AJ and Hard Noise on Twitter, at Hard Noise Posse, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hard Noise Crew. If you want to get hold of the Untitled Sessions, which uh, AJ talks about, you can get in touch with him through that Facebook link or on Twitter. Just a warning, this episode does feature some salty language. Much. There's a lot of expletives. And it's like so much so that it's not worth trying to bleep in it because it would just be a bleep fest. Yeah, yeah, big time. Go to southlandhardcore.com or iTunes for more episodes. We spoke to Hunk Hillberry Finn from Catch-22 a few weeks back. So if you enjoy this, you'll certainly enjoy that. And it's all spun out of our episode with uh, Herc as well, didn't it? So if you want a bit more context as to the whole scene at the time, that's a good episode to listen to as well. Magnetic, poetic, artistic, realistic, rhyme, athletic, static. I don't feel it. A bitter, inch up in skin and chilling, pulling milling, maxing, final facting, lane, paying taxes, running 36 B bosses, putting bosses, breaking artists, making bosses and fly girls, except the rift of our two rough, never been handcuffed. Break it down, suicidal.
So how did Hard Noise come together? College. Um, I think it was, I met Gemini in 86 at Southern Art College uh, in Canberra. I met Gemini in 86, Sun and TLP1 joined in 87. So I was Gemini's DJ at first. And then when, when uh, TLP1 and Sun joined, yeah, so all, all of us guys, you know, we didn't know each other. Everyone was just chatting in the canteen because at that time everybody was into hip hop. Everybody. You know, everybody was following everything like Kim. Hip hop was big at that time, you know. They got chatting. Jason, Jason, DJ Sun met Tilpa One, they got chatting. So this former crew, then got chatting to Gemini, and the Gemini said, Yeah, I know a DJ, I got a DJ, and then then they brought me in. So we, well, we all kind of, we once they brought me in, they just, do you want to be, do you want to form a crew with us? Yeah, yeah. So that's it, that's it. And then, you know, Nice Steve was part of. What it is, DJ Madden was uh, Sun's little brother, so he would automatically be in the crew. And Nice D was their school boy, their friend, their friends from school, so he was in the crew as well. Hence the reason why there was four DJs. Didn't need four DJs. It does seem like there's a lot of crews at that time that had more than one DJ. Yeah, because what it is, people wanted people to be in the crew, but everyone could do something, you know. Yeah. Everyone could do something. I mean. Look at Hijack, they had two DJs and an MC, but they had a little entourage. Which everybody thought Hijack was bigger than what they were. Everybody thought it was like maybe six strong. Hijack was three strong. But, but they had the little the, the entourage with them. You know what I'm saying? So. But even with having more than one DJ, like people have different skills and different attributes, isn't it? So yeah, different yeah. Well, the funny thing is that. I was the first of two decks. Like when I met Sun and Mad, they had one deck, and then they brought a deck the, a year later because it was hard times and they were all growing up and stuff. So they'd come in my house and practice, but uh, Mad wouldn't because he was young. Jason wouldn't let him come. He says, "No, no, you're not ready to come to AJ's house, man. You've got to stay at home." So Adam was frustrated, didn't it? Mad was frustrated. So. You know, he was just practicing on his one deck and all that. So by the time he had got the privilege of coming onto mine, he was just wicked, man. He was just, we all learned of each other the scratching because we were all young and we were listening to mixtapes. In those days, you had to listen. You had, you had mixtapes, Jazzy Jeff, Cash Money, whoever, and and you'd have to try and understand what you're hearing. Nowadays, everyone's got it easy. You can just go on the internet and see what people are doing. But in those days, you had to figure it out. And it wasn't easy. And even with that, it's not just you go on YouTube and you can watch DJs in action. There were tutorials there of people breaking down exactly what they're doing. What we had was audio tutorials, man. I mean, you know, you, you know everybody was DJing back then. It, you know, scratching was a new thing. It was a new phenomenon. It's been going around for a few years before we formed. And, you know, it was just new. Everything was new. That sound that comes out of the speaker, hip-hop, you know, it's like that Arena Special, um, hip-hop Arena Special, that documentary, Gary Bird, Malcolm McClown was on there. And you've got Malcolm McClown talking about his experience when he when he met with um, African Bar and the Zulu Nation in the Bronx, and he, he, he heard this sound out of the speakers, they were doing all that, he was like, what the fuck, I'm going get this on my record, and he did Buffalo Girls, you know? That was the concept around that. So, with, with me growing up, I mean, you know, I, I grew up with Rappers Delight and stuff like that, you know, my, my older brother had Rappers Delight, the 7 inch, and um, he introduced me to that, that was, that was years late, that was the second generation, man, Rappers Delight was more Trisha's Free and all them guys, that was more the first generation, Spoonie G, Busy B, Grandmaster Kaz, all that, but it was Rappers Delight that got me into it, because I was young, I was about, about 11 or 12, you know. And then Rappers Delight come about. And when I heard that, I was like, what? I've never heard anything like it, man. I thought, what is that loop? What is the. Well, I didn't know it was a loop then. I thought, what is that tune, that bass line? So it's the music that drew you in yeah, rather than the lyrics. But the lyrics as well. Yeah, yeah. The lyrics, but the guys talking about Even then, you were like a DJ more than an MC. Yeah, you were listening to how yeah. the music was being put together. It was together, the music, yeah. yeah. For me, it was more. I'd, I'd never heard it. Yeah. I'd never heard it, because obviously. It was like maybe a couple of years later I heard good times because I, you know, when I when I had the vinyl, 
you know, you, you, you buy the record when you're young, you don't give a fuck about the small print. Yeah. You, you don't care about that. But the more I listened to it, the more I got into it. And then um, I looked on the actual vinyl and it said um, something like Taken from Good Times by Sheik. I thought, what are they talking about? I thought, they couldn't take the lyrics from me because I would have heard that. But it was the music. Yeah. So then I went and bought Sheik's the 12 inch on Atlantic Records. Silver, the import was silver, silver and black. And, and I heard the, 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 the singing version. And I was like, what the? I didn't even know this existed. And that came out about a year before Rapper's Delight, or maybe the same year. But I got into Rapper's Delight in, in 1980. It came out in 79. It must have been the latter part of 79. I got into it in 1980. And, um, and when I heard the singing version of it, I was like, wow, the music wasn't as, to me, wasn't as good as Rapper's Delight. But what they did, they took a loop from it and beefed it up. Yeah. That's why that loop sounds tight, do you know what I mean? Yeah, but, 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 oh, it's just incredible time. Man. So what age you when you got your first date? I was, I worked in Pizza Hut. <laughs> <laughs> I worked in Strum. I, I saved up for those, man. Uh, uh, 1987, I think it was. Yeah, it was 87. Because that time I wanted to be like DJ Cheese from, um, Word of mouth, you know, he was a prominent New York DJ. He was the first guy to win the the the, the DJ awards. Yeah, he was the first. He was the first guy, and he was banging man. He's. I mean, you listen to him now. It sounds really basic. But at the time when Mike Allen and Captain Radio was interviewing him, ship him over. He was just come over with his crew. Word of mouth. They did two singles. They did King Cut and Coast to Coast. And the MCs were banging, man. Two MCs, and then they're bringing the DJ. Those days it was great because they were bigging up the DJs, man. The MCs would be chatting about the DJs, listen to how good my DJs. The day cuts like this, it cuts like that. And you know, those days, you know, what I mean, the DJ was the important figure. Yeah, yeah. The MC was was secondary. It was all about the DJs. Jazzy Jeff, Fresh Prince. You know, when they formed, Jazzy Jeff was the main man in Philadelphia. Jazzy Jeff's skills are just crazy. Cash money as well, cash because they both worked out who was going to come out first. And, and Jazzy Jeff came out first and destroyed the whole of New York, <laughs> and then Cash Money followed. So, it's you know, funny for a lot of people because, like, my first contact with Jazzy Jeff was seeing him get chucked out of the house in the Fresh Prince of LA. <laughs> that's you're that's young, though, ain't you? That's the big one. Uh, you're very kind, <laughs> <laughs> but like, did you know what I mean? Like, and then you sort of, but then when you read about it in the that shit man the first single I heard Jazzy Jeff on mixtapes before right but the first single was um, Girls Ain't Nothing But Trouble you know banging you know a song about girls that are taking you know just hard to chat up and all that that was, that was their first official single it was on, it was on Word, Word Up Records independent label owned by Lawrence Goodman I'm perverted and stuff like this man I know everything I can tell you the year the label catalogue number well some of it I can tell you believe it or not some of it I'm, I'm quite a historian when it comes down to, to the vinyl I mostly got into hip hop from my brother because my brother used to be a body popper or he used to do robot dancing and all that and, and my older brother Paul he, he got more into hip hop bebop and all that so I was being around my older brothers they had this sound they had this different sound they weren't playing they weren't playing wham and, and, and fucking all that commercial bullshit you know they, which, which is good now I love yeah, all that 80s yeah. shit now but at the time I hated it but they weren't playing all that stuff they were coming with some underground shit man I've never heard it before and I was like what is that what is that record because it was a cultural thing you know it was a black cultural thing and I, I'm not saying it was just targeted for blacks but it was made by blacks living in ghettos making their music so we didn't know the history behind it but we could relate to it anyway based on what we were going through and stuff so it was a new thing and that, that's how I got into hip hop what was the first UK stuff for you? I think you going to ask me what my first record I bought was yeah, actually, <laughs> I yeah. can tell you what that was yeah, yeah. Monkey Magic the theme tune <laughs> The, the original seven inch yeah, on yeah, BBC yeah. Records. You still got it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bad to shit though, I was a child cut it. Sad as shit, man. I was a cut on my dad's turntable because I used to do pause button mixing and all that, you know. Um, get a, you, you play a record in, and on your tape deck, 
and Paul's Brown makes it for those that don't know you just get you get a record you, you, and there's a bit in a record that you're playing that you're recording and you pause a bit bring, bring the record back let that bit play again pause it again and then you get a, a, like a double up yeah yeah it's like deck to deck but on tape yeah. it it's fucking great I sent Westwood a Roxanne Roxanne remix I did where he was on Kiss FM but the, he never played it <laughs> was Tim Westwood a big figure uh, even then yeah massive massive when I was at school Westwood was the man mate he, he was the one that was playing the underground he was playing UK stuff nobody else was nobody else was you know when I was at school when I was like 13, 14 I'd record these shows you know he'd tell you about the jams he arranged, he arranged a lot of jams back then yeah mate he was the main man he was, the main, he was massive back then there used to be a club called Spats in um, Oxford Street everyone used to go there and body pop and stuff man and there you'd hear all the latest tunes coming out of Mount. It's wicked, man. It's like New York. And that was an Oxford Street, man. That was, that, was, that was incredible. Incredible. That was the main venue. Were there any others? There might have been a few, but back then, we went Spats. That was the main club on a Saturday afternoon, it was. And that was before I formed, that was before I was formed. I'm talking like 1984. Stuff like that. Um, yeah, there's a documentary where like he's driving around with uh, London buses and that, like, yeah, they, they're talking about spats. They talk about fire. spats, and I think that was recorded in '87. Yeah, he's driving around with Seafar. Seafar's doing a big box. God rest his soul, he passed away. Right? But um, yeah, I think I think they filmed spats in there. I can't remember. I've got it on video somewhere. That documentary was funny, man. DJ Business cutting up and all that in his bedroom, cutting up Tom Jones. That was great. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Great. If anyone wants to yeah, see it, yeah, that was great. Loved that shit, man. Yeah. So that's how I got into that's how I got into to hip hop. My brothers and, and the culture, everybody at school buying the Electro One albums and all that street sounds, you know. And my people were starting to buy those, and my brother bought one, and then I bought two and three. Then I started buying the tours of, of the Electro albums. I thought, no, I've got to do something different now. I want the actual 12 inches. And in those days, they were imports. Some of them were on British release, but a lot of them were, were imports. Like, I put, at the time, I was playing like, Nucleus, German Revenge, all that sort of stuff in Sunny View Records. I bought a UK 12 inch because I didn't know about imports back then. You just buy the cheapest one, you know? But years later, when I started collecting, my friends used to have US copies. And the US copies had more mixes. So I felt conned the UK ones because the US ones are bonus beats, you had you had special dub versions, but the UK ones just had the basic mixes. So I'd get rid of my, my um, UK ones and buy the import ones that I already had. So I was wasting, you know, doubling up on money. That's when I started collecting, when I started discovering that most UK tours had more mixes than the UK release versions. They had acapellas and bonus beats and stuff like that. That's when I started collecting, man. More material for you to work? Yeah. Well, those days, man, it was just... I was young, man, you know I mean? There was, we had a few gigs local to where I went at school. There was a club called Conyers in South London. Uh, Tooting it was. And it was like a youth centre, you know? And I was in a crew called Future Beat Alliance. And we got that name from the, 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 the back of... The Renegades of Funk Tour is back from the We've got the name, we just stole the name. We said, yeah, that, that is a fan club. Join us, Future Beat Alliance. We said, yeah, that name sounds wicked, man. So let, let's, let's keep that name. That's what we did. So we call, my body probably called, we call ourselves Future Beat Alliance. And there's a couple of guys from my school, another local school, we just formed, and I provided the music. What were the schools you went to? First down, secondary school, and uh, yeah, that was in two years, still is. It's called Gravely now. And Ernest Bevin, a couple of the guys that were in my crew from Ernest Bevin. Rival schools, mate, we used to fight and shit. But those days, you know, what I loved about those days is there were a lot of fights opposite schools and all that. But you'd work it out through breakdance. You'd Have work a out, Yeah, you'd yeah. work out your issues through, 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 through a battle. Yeah, yeah. So you're from Tilly? No, Strum. Okay, so Yeah, we went to school in Streatham and, and well, sorry, we grew up in Streatham but the school we went to was in Tooting. Long wall. I was I was skinny back then. <laughs> when was the first time you worked with uh, MC as a DJ? Good question. Very good question. 
That's a very good question because that would have been TLP1. And I've got the recording of it as well, it's on on title sessions. It's a track called um, TLP1 and AJ Freestyle, 1988. That was crazy, man, that was crazy. I was, I was at, um, I can't remember what day it was, man. It was a day during the week. Or it might have been a weekend, I was just cutting up man, I was just practicing, my mum was downstairs doing the cooking, I was in my bedroom cutting up Duda James, tip one knocked on the door, and my mum let him upstairs, and obviously I was progressing quick as a DJ, and I'd play my music loud, my mum didn't mind, she loved hip hop man, she was from Barbados, she was like, yeah Alan man, yeah what? Her generation, you know, yeah. loved that shit. So I'll be, be cutting up and shit, man, just practicing. I took one walk through the door, my bedroom door, and come in. And just go, yeah, yeah, that sounds wicked, man. He's a, and he started freestyling, like, and I'd never heard him freestyle because we only met at college maybe a few months before, you know. Yeah, yeah. But we all clicked. So when he started freestyling, I was like, wow, I've never heard a rapper like you before, ever. So I plugged in my spare set of headphones in the front of socket of my mixer. You know, so my, my headphones are two sets of headphones. My headphones are plugged in the regular bit on the mixer. And I plugged in the spare set on the on the headphone jack. So he was rapping using my headphones as a mic. And and we caught that session. And it's only entitled sessions. Yeah, that's history and when you hear it nothing was planned absolutely nothing was planned everything was energy and we just thought alike you know he, he bounced off my style of cutting and I bounced off his style of rapping so when you hear it you might think it was rehearsed absolutely nothing everything was pure freestyle nothing planned nothing planned nothing planned you get you can hear feedback in the recording because of the mic levels and shit not the mic the headphones but everything on that particular session, it was just as it happened. I'm glad that at the time I thought of putting in the tape. Yeah. You know, we, did, we didn't even plan that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was cutting up, he was just freestyling, and I just, I went through all my tapes, I was trying to find my Chrome TDK. I didn't want the, I didn't want the idiot TDK one, I wanted the Chrome one. And then, then I had to spend time rewinding the motherfucker to the, to the beginning, and that took long. And I didn't want to lose the vibe, so while that was you running, I was still cutting up. But I didn't want to lose the vibe, and then, then it rerun, and I just hit record. And then, then we recorded it. And that's, that's history, mate. That's, that's, it's just nice having that recording. It's nice having that, 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 that tape recording, man. See, you got this, well, recorded with TLP1 first, but then you became Gemini's DJ. Yeah, I mean, my first official recording of Hardwoods was with TLP1. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you know, um, with the others, that, that happened later. But TLP1 lived locally, so he lived in Fallon. You know, South London scene, you know. Gemini lived in Lewisham. Lewisham or Blackheath, one of the two. Jason, DJ Son and Matt, they lived in Oak Kent Road. Nice D lived in Oak Kent Road. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, straight to Oak Kent Road's far, you know what I mean? So Tilton One lived not far from me. And I suppose we made him click more. Because I was the oldest one in the group. And, and so he'd just come around to my house and, and, and just bubble, man. We'd have jam sessions, you know, flinging the tape and just fuck about. You know, like the Fresh Pits and Jazzy Jeff, we, we were doing that. We were doing that, mate. Before we became a serious crew, we were just doing things like that. So if you listen to that freestyle, that's when Tupac was becoming more of a serious rapper and stuff. But at college, you'd be freestyling and stuff. It was just, it was more sort of jokey. You know, because that, that's it was in there. You know, the consciousness started to come about with Public Enemy and all that. You know, and, and like, not only that, but uh, Karis won in the battles with, with MC Shan. That's when it started to get a little bit serious. Yeah. About, you know. So in terms of hard noise coming together for me, yeah. like who was the instigator behind that? Who was saying let's do this trip? I think we all did, really. You know, I don't think there was a main person. DJ Sun was a spoken one. He was the main guy that, that spoke on behalf of the crew. Who named the crew? Who Yeah, like all of us. Yeah, well, the, the funny thing is that we were trying to decide a name, and 
they found me from a call when when we were talking. I said, yeah, find me at 9 o'clock at Norby, outside Norwich Police Station. And they found me and stuff, you know. The name, everybody just was thinking of names. I don't know who actually thought of Hard Noise. It might have been, might have been Sun or Tilton One. One of them boys did. You know, but at first when they said to me, yeah, we're calling ourselves Hard Noise and all that, what do you think? I said, nah, I don't like it, man. You didn't like me? Nah, nah, nah. It just didn't really... But then, then, then they thought, nah, don't sound right, you know? And then, and then we just reverted back to it because we couldn't think of another name. So we just lived with that name. So in terms of getting together recording sessions, like deciding on, you know, putting together the track that became untitled? Everyone had the main ideas, but TLP1 had the most experience with production. You know, he he, he, he he was making beats a long time before everybody else. You know what I mean? At the time when I was... I mean, that guy, that guy... Genius. It's all I've got to say, man. He, he's genius producer. Genius MC. But his production skills were very advanced. Very advanced. I would say... I would say he was probably 10 years ahead of his time in terms of production skills. I picked up quick, do you know what I mean? But, but his shit... His shit was just the demos he was coming around in '87. He'd come around just instrumental beats to my house, and I'm like, it sound like Marley Marley shit, man. You know, a little bit now when I listen to it, it kind of reminds me of Jay Dinner, but he had that sound a long time. So basically, when I say that, you know, everyone had ideas, but then we we had a guy called Masterman who was um he was Blaze producer. And, and Master Mix was experienced in using the, the EMU SP1200. So we had ideas for tracks, but we'd go and Master Mixes after he could put it together. And that's what happened with Untitled, do you know what I mean? You know, we, we, we had the idea, we knew how we wanted it to go, but we didn't have the equipment to do it. So Master Mix put it together for us. And we said, yeah, we wanted to go out there, so we wanted to take that out, put this in, and, and all that, you know. And, and, and that beat, Master Mix was just fucking about, man, you know. I wasn't there, it was Jason, it was Sun, and I think Sun 2 one was there. I wasn't there at the time. And and they, they were just all around Master Mix's house, fucking about on his drum machine. Uh, just use Apache and Master Mix just programmed it a different way. Yeah, with, with, with Sun and Tilpy one there, guiding him. And that's how that beat come, man, that's how that beat come. Purely by accident. <laughs> Do you release that as a white label? Yeah. Self financed and self financed. Did, did three hundred copies of that um, because when we had the demo, nobody was interested. Musical Life didn't like it. Didn't like it. They were they were just too much into they were being hijacking the Demon Boys and all those groups that were doing the right. You know, when we come along, they were like. They probably thought, oh, they're trying to copy IJ. They, they might have thought that. But they, oh, they were probably inundated with demos anyway from everyone else. But they, they didn't like it. They didn't like it. I don't think they absorbed it properly. I don't think they actually sat down and listened to it. So we put it out as a white label. And then of course a year later. And that fucking blew up. That blew the fuck up. That blew up, you know. And the interesting thing about the name, we did, we did a demo. We went to the studio. And we didn't, we, we cut it, but we didn't know what to call it. So on, on, the, on the actual wheels, no, no Slyar just put untitled because we didn't know what to call it. And then, uh, and then we gave it the white label to DJs with still no name. And we said, it's, it's untitled, man. We just left it like that. And the DJs on air were, were like, yeah, I've got this record, man. It's banging records by Booker Hard Noise. I don't know what to call it, it's untitled. <laughs> and that created a fucking buzz. Because people were like, oh, there's a hardware record, I want to buy it, but I don't know what it's called, man. It's, it's untitled, it's a white label. And some shops, because we, 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 we hand delivered it to certain shops, Groove Records, I think it was My Price Records in, in Goodness Records in Tooting, there's shops in Ballon, different record shops. It wasn't, we distributed it ourselves. So people didn't know where to find it. And, and the name was confusing as well. It's, yeah, it's a white label, it's untitled. And then DJ279 was the first, from Choice of M, he was the first to play it on air. And he said, um, yeah, it's untitled, my hard noise. So people were like, oh, yeah, so they started asking for untitled. So we thought we'd call it untitled. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how, that, that's how it come. So not only was... It was just a different phenomenon because when we cut that tune, it was it, it wasn't nothing special. 
just a teaser, man. We just wanted to do a little demo and put it out there. Right? We wanted to make a record. We were young, we were kids. We said, yeah, I'd love to have a make a record, man. So we just cut a record. The MCs were at their best. Temple One, Jimmy and I were at their best. The scratching, I was, I didn't come, man. That was Mad and Son. But I went more on the second single, man. The second single, I had to own that shit. I had to, I, I had something to say. I had something to say because the good thing about the crew, there was a little competition amongst all of us. Like the DJs, myself, Sun, Madder, we were all battling with each other. You know what I mean? And Gemini and Tilbury 1 were the same. Trying to top each other Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I would say with Tilbury 1's progression, etc., I mean, I'm not going to speak too much about him because I'd like him to. If, if whatever, I don't want to say too much. I don't, I don't like speaking for people. Um, but, but his main influence was Gemini, mate. Gemini at the time, Gemini was coming with some some hard lyrics, man. They're both phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Until yeah. one upped his game, he had to up his game, and he upped his game and and blew up. You know, they both got different styles, different contradicting styles, but they work together at the time. You know, they, they, there's, there's not an official other than, other than the freestyle sessions that I've got of them two rapping together. But there's no other track where they're actually rapping together other than Untitled because we only did two 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 records. That's all we did, two records, and we didn't do an album. You know, we did two records, three songs over two records. In 1989, you sent the demo to Musical Life. In 1989, you bring out the White Label. Then, 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 then we went back to them, and they snapped us up. Yeah. So then it gets released through Musical Life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The same music uh, label that wouldn't listen to oh, you a year yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, less than that, less than a year ago. Because I'm going to tell you the difference, mate. When we did that White Label, we had a limited budget, and Blade contributed towards that budget. We were going to be on side B with one of Blade's tracks, because Blade wanted to bring us by him but we didn't want to come in through Blade because it seemed like we were sort of wondering we, we believed our music was as good as his if not better so we said to Blade well we were meant to have been on the other side of one of Blade's singles and I don't know what happened I don't know why it didn't become I think Blade started making excuses or something like that I don't know I can't remember long time ago so then we cut, cut the right label to double A side because we couldn't afford to mix it instrumental mix so we put the same thing on the other side and then um when we got the deal with Musical Life, that's when they were interested because they heard of us now. He was getting airplanes and stuff, people were talking about us. So I don't know whether they contacted us or whether we contacted them like a long time ago. I'm, I'm pretty sure we went back to them and they snapped us up. But they tried to they tried to use our white labels to market the, the Musical Life version, which I thought was a fucking liberty, bro, because we fucking paid for that cunt. We paid for that shit. So... We were young, we gave them some of my labels, but then I thought, this ain't right, man. So me and Tilpy went back, went back there and just, just robbed them, innit? <laughs> we just robbed our records back, brother, and other records. We didn't, we didn't, <laughs> Interesting, yeah, 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 exactly. We, we didn't rob them officially, but it wasn't like threatening nothing, but we just, we just hijacked what was on the shelves, man. I ain't even gonna say what I did with him, man. Fucking hell. <laughs> I went to tape exchange, innit? <laughs> we both did, innit? Do you know what I mean? But I kept some of them. But I can talk about all that now, because it, it was years ago. And, and you know, when, you, when you're living that and you're doing that, you don't think it's gonna be a story to be told years later. So it's a pleasure to be here with you guys, you know? But, um, so, so basically, they gave us a, better, a bigger budget. So the Musical Life Mix, is a slightly different version to the white label mix. <coughs> it's cleaner. We up we up the BPM a little bit, make it a little bit faster. Um, and and it's a cleaner mix. And the, the whole idea why the white label has a longer intro, it's an eight-bar intro on the white label. The musical album has a four-bar intro because we, we fucked it up when we did the musical album. We 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 taped over the first four bars because we tried to get in a Chuck D. Speech Chuck D from Public Enemy yeah. was talking about black consciousness and all that. We had a recording of it, and we wanted to use that as the intro to Untitled. But because the recording was long, it went over four bars. So the engineer at the time said, um, "No, Slip Nigel." He said, 
we recorded over the first four parts, if we keep recording, we're going to lose the, the intro. So that's why the musical icon has a short intro, because we, we recorded over the first four bars. And, it, and that, that, that idea didn't work. And, um, and we've, got, we, you know, we've got the instrumental mix on the musical icon, we've got the acapella, because we had the budget for all that. And two for one, we wrapped his lyrics on that version as well. You know, uh, Gemini didn't. So the white label's two for one's first version. The musical icon is his second version. He, he, he wasn't happy with his lyrics on the white label. But all of us were. And I still think he sounds better on the white label than he does on the musical icon, personally. But, you know, you can hear the difference if you fan back to back. You know what I mean? So that's, that's what happened. That's what happened. I've still got a copy of the contract on this, but I've still got it, man. What was your relationship with the label like? I mean, you're, you know, you're fresh-faced kids. <laughs> I'll let you write what I just did. You, know, you can write that. You know. It was, it was, we, we were young, we were quite aggressive, you know, because we, we all had experiences in life, you know. So we weren't the easiest guys to get around. Get, we were easygoing in that, but... When it comes down to the business side of it, I wish we had more of an understanding of it back then. But, you know, it was all about cutting the record and getting it out of there. We didn't really understand how hijack were, hijack were more advanced in, in terms of understanding the business. So you played Fridgewire and Rickson, you played Dingwalls, you had the Dingwalls set us up on YouTube. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Fridgewire was pretty much one of our first gigs. We did loads of gigs, man. We did, we did Leicester. We did Wales, and you got there's a recording of the Pure Destruction in Wales. That's what we did. That was great. Nice. They recorded that on his on his audio tape tape machine. Then he's passed away now, but that, that's nice. Day's contribution towards the Untitled sessions that Mather had on tapes. You know, um, so it's good to capture that because you can hear Nice Day talking in the background afterwards, talking to Blake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and. You know, it's, it's history. Yeah. It's just great to, to, to actually put out the sessions because those tracks, those tracks are just bedroom tracks, man. They're, 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 they're nothing official. Well, it's all official hardware stuff, but nothing that that would have come out. Yeah, just 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 stuff, you know, and, and that would have evolved to other stuff, which we would have put out. You know what I'm saying? Because if you listen to Untitled, Untitled was built. From Pure Destructive Power and Black Hollow Pandemonium, they were our first official hardware demos, and that's what I put out last year as a white label, 12 inch. Um, they were our first official demos, so Black Hollow Pandemonium. That's when we started dabbing with Apache. You know, that, that was the first demo of Apache, and then we did another one called um, Freestyle of Doom, where Gemma is still rapping the same type of lyrics. That's on the sessions as well. We were just fucking about with Apache because that, that's got to be the greatest breakbeat in the history of hip hop. Apache, man. Even Van Bart said that. He said, African Bar once said, if you ain't got Apache in your collection, you're not a real DJ. And I'll never forgot that. So all of us had Apache, but I had I was the one that had pretty much all the breaks. Tip one had a good break collection, but I, I had the majority of it. I had, I, had, I had all the breaks and stuff, man. So they'd come to me and want to sort of go and fuck about with what I've got. Tier one had an awesome break collection, but my collection is more superior. So for the second single, you wanted to make your mark. Yeah, I wanted to make a mark because I didn't. Because you know we're four DJs, man. You know we four jump on the same records, you know. So we worked it out. Mad and Son, you cut up on a title, and I, me, I, I pretty much dominated the second single. Mad cut up on the second single as well, but I pretty much dominated it, you know. I served tea. Serve Team Mice, I produce Serve Team, Tilt One produce Mice. That's simple. Tilt One solo produce Mice. And I solo produce Serve Team. Mad helped me put it together on his SP1200. But I was the brains behind Serve Team. That's my beat. Don't like that. <laughs> yeah, that was my beat. Yeah, but I did this on it. How can you say it's your beat? Do you know what I mean? But I was the brains behind Serve T and Tip One was the brains behind Mice. And you know, so two two very different styles of tracks. Mice was more 
the clubby type thing. It's still underground, but more surf team, man. I was, I was angry when I did that, man. With the world, you know what I mean? I was young and stuff, you know. I said, no, I want to talk. I want to make a hardcore beat, man. I was reading a lot of black culture books back then, you know. I was talking about slavery and all that sort of shit, man. I was exposed to information I was never exposed to at school back then, you know what I mean? You know, like, Republic Enemy, that made, it made you want to read and learn about your culture. So, the, the, the idea of Surf Team is, Gemini came with the title, and the title was based on a, um, a serial killer called Marianne Conn. She was an Eng English woman, she served tea and murdered her victims. That was the whole idea at the time. And I never knew that until this year when I asked Gemini. We didn't care. We just, we just thought, we just thought, yeah, that title was wicked, man. But I didn't even know what it was. It's in fact that was until last year. It was only when I was building the hardware's timeline that people asked me a lot of deep questions. A lot of guys from Germany and Switzerland, all of our fans. Yeah, what was that title mean? I said, well, you know what? I don't even know. I'm sure I knew at the time. I couldn't remember. So I asked. I found Gemini. I said, well, talk to me, man. Surf team that made me told you. So, you know, everyone had a little morbid fascination with be it serial killers or horror or something like that, you know? You know what I mean? But, 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 yes, that, that was the significance of Surf Tea the Murder. Great time. Marianne Cotton, 18th century, mate. She was Britain's first official serial killer. Um, so, so yeah, so so on the beginning of Mice in the Presence, before Triple One starts rapping, I'm doing the cuts. Second verse, second cut verse, I think that's me again, then Madder comes in, then I come in. Yeah, so I, I do the majority of the cuts on, on both singles. Like, um, I mean, the, the, the Serve Tea, the Murder, the intro cut. Before Gemini starts rapping, it's just a kick drum. I'm doing that. I'll walk you through the verses, but um, the second cut, Madder's doing, because you can hear him going Madder on it. And then the third one I do, and the fourth one, the chirp, the whistle scratch, that's me. And I did that in one take. I want people to know that. There was no rewinding, there was no adding on this, the chirp scratch. Which was a famous chirp scratch by Jazzy Jeff did in, in the Magnificent Jazzy Jeff. I copied that scratch because I, I had to, but I did my own version of it, and it went on for long. It must have gone on for about eight bars, and I did that in one take. The knee didn't jump. There was no let's do that again. Everything was one take. And apparently, Cuba was very inspired by that. Cuba, you know, the DJ in San Francisco, big, you know, DMC champion multiple times. He was very inspired by that scratch. Obviously, his main, Cuba's main inspiration was Hijack and their style of scratching. Their style of scratching influenced us. Influenced us. Supreme and Undercover, their style of scratching. Even when you hear it now, it's like, what the fuck are they doing, man? It's like, all those years later, I'm like, wow, well, what are they doing? They were that advanced. So, you know, we did our thing. We weren't trying to copy them. But we did our thing, but yeah, man, that's that's. That's the thing about the production the time that really stands out for me. It's, it's physical, isn't it? It's about physical skill. It's about actually being able to manipulate. You know, when I put Serve Tea together, I used sounds that that weren't available because a lot of people when they were making music, they were just using they were just using regular records, old records, looping up old records and taking bits and pieces of old records. But Serve Tea the Med, I wanted to come with something different. I mean, obviously, you've got your Yelena Swift and Luke in there from Dirty Harry. The main looping that, the, the guitar, that's from the Dirty Harry soundtrack. And I've always wanted to use that when I was at school, when I was watching Dirty Harry at home with my parents, when it was on telly. I'd always be listening to, to, to the score and films and stuff, man. Yeah, away, yeah, yeah, man. I thought, oh, that's such a bizarre. I used to put soundtracks. And, uh, and I'd be listening to more of the, the, what was going on in the music, as well as the film. And uh, so I had the idea of, of using that break when I was about 15. I said, if I ever get a chance to make a record, I'm going to use that beat. And that's what I did. So that, but that um, computery noise. There's a high pitched noise, and I don't know if you guys feel really it. Yeah. There's a high pitched noise going through Serve Tea the Murder. That was taken from like a Commodore 64, man. None of those old arcade things, man. Yeah, yeah. You take the tape out and it makes a mad noise, man. 
yeah. just recorded that shit. I said, yeah, I want that noise in my tune. I love that noise, man. And people, they, those guys thought I was nuts. I said, I'll make that noise work. And that's what happens. That's what happened. I'm letting out the secrets now, but it doesn't matter because I'm old. <laughs> Now, but it's these things that make it still sound fresh now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you just try and do what everyone else is doing, exactly, then it wouldn't. Have, then we wouldn't be sitting here today. You know, and that's the thing about it because you know, even now, I get so many people banging on about Sir T, man. So many people are saying that track was ahead of its time. Well, that's the thing. If, if those tracks came out today, they'd be seen as like just. Other worldly, they're, they're fit in. They probably fit in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They probably fit in. I mean, so T. I mean, to me, it's different when you made the beats. You don't really grasp what everyone else is grasping because you made that beat. But it's nice hearing that shit, you know. Because I mean, when we split up, I come off the scene, man. Long time, long time. Last morning to rock and grind. Last morning to the American stuff. You know, I just, I just didn't want to know. I just didn't want to make music and stuff, you know. And uh, but over the years, I've bumped into. I've been, I've been in a pub, right? Like like ten years ago, I've been in a pub, just chatting to people. And some bloke chat up music. You might bump into strangers. You might hear some guy talking about British rap and all that. And you know, my friends go, "Oh yeah, you're really into British rap." And I meet people like Hard Nose fans. Yeah, yeah. Fucking mad. And then when they when they detect that or found out that I'm in, I was I used to be in that court. Guy crazy. <laughs> and, and, and to me, it was like. It was difficult for me to absorb because I wondered what this guy was going crazy about. He was like, yeah, but you did untitled and fucking hell, man, you did this. And, and I'm like, so? so let's talk. And I try and change the subject because I was quite embarrassed. All of us embarrassed at the conversation because it's such a long time ago. And these guys were so enthusiastic, it was crazy. But it's the thing that we were earlier, like, it's so exciting for us to find out about this moment in South London where, as you say, uh, you lot were from like Shreton and Tootin, you had Hijack from Brixton, you had Catch 2, you know. Yeah, Castle 2, Marga, Marga used to have a flattened stock or so. The funny thing is that when we were, because a lot of those guys were at college, I mean, standing ovation, right? Lance, their producer, he was at my college. Same as hard ones, you know. So we had standing ovation at our college. We had no parking MCs. One of them, their, their MCs, he was at our college. college. Southern College. Right. Yeah, everybody, a lot of people at Southern College, this is in Canberra. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were, were in a crew, you know. So everyone knew somebody that was in a crew. No parking MCs, they, I think they made a couple of rumbles. One of their MCs, his brother was come off Swift. So everyone knew somebody, like, I knew I knew someone that knew the cookie crew. I mean, everybody knew the cookie crew. They were from Lewisham. And then I got hooked up with their DJ, DJ Dazzle, who was from Lewisham. This white guy, he was bad. He was fucking bad. And he taught me scratching, pretty much the basics, other than, well, I used to watch him. Other than listening to Catch Money, Catch Money and Jazz Jeff and all that. I used to go to his house and his, his nickname was the white boy. That was his nickname. Because he was the only white boy in his ghetto crews in, in, in Lewisham. His ghetto hardcore crews, man. You know, like 12 strong. And he was a bad DJ. He was wicked, man. That's really good though, isn't it? He was fucking wicked. You get him on Tears for Fears, shout. You get him on that. You get him on Planet Patrol, cutting up, cutting up over that shit. Well, I've got the recordings of him Tears for Fears shout. Check the hard noise timeline, it's all on there. DJ Dazzle at his peak. Listen to that vintage recording. 1987, man. I bunk of college and go around his house. And he was fucking bad. He was wicked, man. The way he cut up Tears for Fears, you know. He <laughs> doubling it up and it was wicked, mate. The recordings are there, mate. The recordings are there. All online. Find it online. Through download. So he, he taught me bits and pieces. I'll be just watching him and he'll be like showing me and all that. And that's what Jazz just did. So not only did I learn from the tapes, but I'd be going around to his house. And he was Cookie Crew's DJ. Or he became Cookie Crew's DJ. So I'd be, I saw less of Dazzle because he started touring with the Cookie Crew when they were in Birmingham with Public Enemy and Hijack and all that. He'd be on tour with them, batting it up. His style was very much, he was on the same level as Cash Money and Jazz and Jay. 
DJ Dazzle. You know, and years later we got into house music and stuff, so I hadn't seen him for years. But he was one of my idols. And then I'd come with the mixtapes, and then I'd play them to Madder. Madder would copy, duplicate the mixtapes, and be inspired by DJ Dazzle also. It's great times, man. Because you, you lived, you lived, you lived, you, you ate, you lived, you breathed the culture. And it didn't matter where you were from. You could be black, you could be white, you could be Asian. It didn't matter where the fuck you were from, you know? But it was a very definite South London sound, was it? Distinct from like East London. Yeah, I mean, the South London sound, I mean, well, I mean, the Cookie did their thing. They, they, they made it big in America, and they did their thing with, with um, British Principal from Della Soul or whatever. They did their thing, you know what I mean? We, we, we wanted to be hard because hip-hop started to get watered down, man. You know, Derek B was doing his... Derek B come hard with What The Beat, his first single, 987. And then Profile Rock was put up in New York. So he was the first to have an import release. I thought, wow, I've got to get that, because that's what I was collecting. So I bought a Profile release of Derek B's record. And when I first heard What The Beat, I thought it was an American track. Because at the time, he used a James Brown sample. I can't remember the name of it now. But Karis One used the same sample in one of his tracks. When I heard Karis One's one, I thought, yeah, it's great. When I heard Dirt Beast one, I prefer Dirt Beast version because it had better scratching on it. And he worked in Melbourne, so I thought it was an American track. And then I discovered this guy from East London. I was like, fuck, you know, man. So we were like, no, East London, East London, they've got a good MC and all that. North London, they had Demon Boys, banging MC, banging DJ, banging beats. So we thought we've got, we got to come get on. And then Hijack beat us to it, do you know what I mean? Because we were just thinking about it. And Hijack come with the hooligan production, man. You know what I mean? Uh, Star Wars, Hard Knock Hostage, Dooms like that. They were just hurting, man. So then we come with that too. But we weren't copying them, but we were, they just beat us to it. A lot of South London teams, when you read interviews from team interviews, they reference coming out of like sounds different culture and like Saxon is going to you hear that in Gemini, man. Gemini, Gemini is from a sound, a sound system background. Gemini talks with a little pattern on his production. Um, yeah, I suppose maybe, I mean, I can speak for my style, not, not MCing, but I suppose my style of scratching and stuff. And just, just the character that I had in the crew is, is that echo from that South London culture, because my dad was from Jamaica. And he was in a sound crew in the 70s. My, my dad, he had his little firm in, in Dulwich and that, you know, they had the big fucking speakers, man, big as your house. Yeah, speaking of Europe, um, the word Britcore, for example, you were saying was coined in Germany, yeah, is that right? I'm not even a big fan of that term, man. But that, that, that's the German thing, isn't it? I only found that, I only discovered what that meant a few years ago. I said to man, what's this Britcore shit, man? Are you with you? <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. He, he probably would. He said, I don't know, I think some Germans made it up or something like that. He, man, is just, he don't care. He man, is just, he's a hooligan, man. It's the way he thinks, it's just, he's just different. I love him to bits, man. The second single, did it sell? Did it, was it Get Ready to Play? And, I mean, it didn't, you didn't saying, make an album afterwards, did you? It kind no, of ended no, no. there. Um, what it is, uh, we split up after the second single. Till P1 was going to walk out after our title, but I convinced him to do one. I, think I convinced him to do one. Everyone had their issues, man. He had his issues. There was there was there was discrepancies in the crew amongst certain crew members that I'm not going to name. We were young. We were students. People wanted to do different things, and that's why we split. You know, Till P1 still come in my house and, and still freestyle. They still come under beats. Everyone still came on my ass. Yeah, I was pretty much more than sort of central figure, really, the, the, the kind of peacemaker. Because people, different people weren't talking to different people for whatever reasons, you know? And it's like that when you're young, you know what I mean? You know, everyone's got different egos and stuff, you know? And that's you. That's you. Everyone's got a favourite, and everyone's favourite was Untitled. Because Untitled crossed over. That's what I think, I think that's why it, it's still a big track. And, and, or, or still a popular track because it crossed over Untitled crossed over to people that were into house music people, people that were Untitled weren't, weren't into Brickle well it wasn't Brickle then Brickle come about probably after Gunshot 
that's when I, I feel that's when the big name came about. But, but I'm tired of crossing over to different people, you know, because I know a lot of half teachers were rocking the instrumental. Rogerson were obviously influenced by untitled and, and, and yeah, all that cut and paste stuff, you know. Rogerson's background is old school, 80s stuff, you know. They, we didn't know them, but we can tell they were going spats at the time. So I remember when we recorded that, that Coast Stories, and Nice Little Nigel was like, he said, I love that intro, man. Oh my god, that sounds fantastic. Because it's got like old school, they talk about Mayhaps and all that, and maybe and all that. So all, all that was what we were growing with, man. And, that's and it, was, it was very, very relevant towards our style of production. Cold Storage on. Cold Storage, Brixton. Yeah, yeah uh, I, I legendary recording studio. It's a bit like the Beatles of Abbey Road. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like that. The Beatles had Abbey Road in the 60s. We had cold storage in the 80s, 80s, early 90s. Because people think cold storage, man, the name's a, a, a historical thing. That was recorded in cold storage, man. And what does cold storage bring? It brings a great sound engineer, no slip Nigel. And, and he never slept, that's why he's called that. That's why he's called that. He was just. I've never seen a guy not sleep for days. There, still sharp. And he understood. He understood British production, British hip hop. He understood it. And his background's rock and shit like that. But when this hip hop sound come about, he just understood it. So that's, that's what happened, man. So we split up, and then Gemini did. He joined a crew called Pushkin out. They did their thing. Son of Noise, pretty much after we split up, they, uh, Jason Madder formed, or Son of Madder, Jason and Adam, they formed Son of Noise. And just made, kept carrying on making music straight away. I didn't do anything, Tilbury One didn't do anything. I mean, me and Tilbury One did bits and pieces that no one's heard, but that's nothing, man. You know, we, 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 we're still mates. So we did stuff, but. No, we just kind of drifted apart over the years, you know. Everyone started doing their thing, man. So um, that's what happened. That's what happened. But a lot of the recordings during Hard Noise, a lot of the freestyles, they were always done at my house because I had a hell of a lot of records and I had the decks and everything. So my room had character. My room had the essence of hip hop. You know, I had loads of records. I had the decks. I could scratch. I knew what I was doing on the decks. I had breaks. And Tilpy One would come round and be inspired by that shit. You hear it on the tapes, man. The way he's rapping on that 1987 freestyle, he's inspired by what's around him. You know? The records, man, the DJ and all that. He's doing his thing on there. And hence why I'm tired was hard. Because, you know, Son and Madder, they were from Oak Kent Road. That's good. You know, the Oak Kent Road was ghetto in those days. A lot of racism and shit, man. So they grew that culture. Everybody in the crew experienced racism at some point, you know. So everyone had that. That's what kind of made. I, I would say South London culture of that generation was probably based on experiences and and, and from West Indian-born families and stuff, and listening to their stories. Listen to mum and dad's stories when they were young in the sixties when my dad used to have fights with Teddy boys in the 60s and all that, you know, when they come over, when we come over and Teddy Boys wanted to, wanted to fight the Jamaicans and all that, there's was, was a lot going on. When I was growing up, you know, you had Madness, you had the Specials, you had the Rock stuff, I thought Skinners was a new phenomenon, you know, but that was a repeated culture from the 60s. The original Skinhead was the West Indians. They had the Skinhead and the DM, but that was their culture in the West Indies. Hence the term Rude Boy. Yeah? That, that's where that term come from. So we have a wood one in the place, wood one, mash up the place and all that thing there, you know. All, that, all that's from West Indian countries, very relevant today. Who was I talking to? I was talking to my brother the other day. Um, um, well, it might have been Supreme, it's one of the two. Um, it was my brother, and I said to him, today's stuff, <coughs> in terms of the grime and all that, it's very simple production. But they've made it work, and and they're using their accents. They've made the British accent work. They couldn't get away with their style in my generation, because in my in our generation, you obviously had London possibly. They made it work then. Nutriment, all them guys there, they made it work. But 
London Post have got away with it. The, the odd few UK MCs that use British accents that we know of, they got away with it because they made it work. But it wasn't easy. So a lot of the old, the early stuff, late 80s and all that, even mid 80s, a lot of that stuff you can hear in the Melbourne Twain. Because British rap was still finding its feet. You understand? You couldn't get on the mic, you sound like a bloody skinhead on the mic, you know? You sound like Del Boy, and people are like, what well, that's But now, this generation. It's the opposite, it's true, yeah. isn't it? If you get up, went up there in South America, people will be like, what's it's going on? Like, yeah. no, this is all about your, uh, what you're currently doing. Based on the impact of what I saw online, and people just found out that I was an artist. My Facebook got inundated with friends of friends. I mean, fucking crazy. And, and how that happened was I was talking to Commander Sly one time because Sly came in my house in, must have been 1988 or 1989. And that was one of my first sessions as well with Hijack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He come round because I knew a guy that knew him. And he come round and we did a little freestyle session. It wasn't nothing major. It's not, it's not a very good recording. Gemini was there. Wish to God Tio Bawam was there because he would have been with Comanche Sly and you know, they would have rapped. But, but Gemini happened to be on my house at the time in case no not. People started to ask me if I had other hard material. And I said, I've got bits and pieces but nothing's finished. It's, 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 it's nothing amazing. But everyone was so desperate to hear it. You know, they were like, look, it's just all these stars just ask about. You know, we started tracks. These tracks weren't going to be the next singles. They were just demos. You know, just fucking about you doing stuff. MC comes around and laces something over it. And, uh, the fans helped fund it as well because we did pre-sales. Oh, yeah. So we had the, the records pressed up in the Melbourne. Because I always wanted a hard enough record on the Melbourne Wax. It was one of the imports. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> man. I've done it. You've got to open the shrimp wrap and yeah, man. And the vinyl's American, you know? It's British, it's flimsy, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like British, 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 to call it British wax. You're trying to DJ, it always jumps, man. And you're scratching a UK track. Not a UK track, but a UK manufactured pressing. Fucking rubbish, mate. It jumps all over Planet Walk, you know. Speed 45, it makes you work hard. 33 was easy going, you know. That was DJ AJ from Hard Noise. You can get hold of the Untitled Sessions on facebook.com slash hardnoisecrew. This is Hard Noise, Serve Tea, Then Murder. Perhaps I could have got away on beat for you catching me. You remember that? You remember that all, eh? You killed me. You remember that? You killed me. Gemini, realistic, energetic, poetic, artistic, static, I don't really conquer many enemies, enemies perish, Gemini, flies back, courage, encourage, by my five beers, told deliver, you should refract, at the plant of white, revolt, six, and those are yes, yes, in both, time it falls, your cool dissolve, de-escalate, I exterminate, exterminate, proliferate, escalate, great, I stay, contemplate, beyond contemplation, the mind brings four fools, our innovation, creative, and the vigilance, not a materialist, but mystic, futuristic, complex pattern, lyrics. Cause drop, erupt, instruct, I said, correct, erect, erect, too high tech, yes, possess, bless. Oppressors oppressed, compressed, de-stressed You won't fester, you never smoke hard noise We terrorize, verbalize, mesmerize, emphasize Eyes will open as we lay the foundation of true hip-hop music Your bass, your bass, lace, your face, gaze, back-paced, musical waste <laughs> Where's 
the back into a red infection Protection, eradicated nations Fear of a plague planet Year 2000, people dying People crying, people slipping Gripping for hope, gripping the rope but slipping The virus is calm as rip, sound the sirens Positive, negative, negative, positive Life lost, gone buried Bed to bed, head to head, left dead Grave to grave, who's your saviour? Who's gonna be saved? Easy late Compact, contact, attack Attack, man's existence is limited What have you got to give? What have you got to learn? Thousands upon thousands will burn Living in a land of corruption, jealousy, lies, white lies, alibis, analyze from moon to moon, it multiplies, thick cloud skies, spacious skies, skies filled with hate, teardrops fall, world war three, that's the end of me, you said tripping, I said slipping, I'm not righteous, and I will write this, you said ignorant, I said realist, now feel this. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!